title of this evening's message is the Prince of Peace, and we're going to be concluding the sermon series we started several weeks ago, in which we are exploring the four names given to the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9. We started off talking about Jesus being our wonderful counselor. He's being our guide and the one who lights our path in life. We then spoke about Jesus being our mighty God and giving us the strength, the power, and the spiritual vitality that we're going to need to live in today's chaotic world. This last Sunday, we talked about Jesus being our everlasting Father. We emphasized how Jesus is the perfect example of manhood, fatherhood, and somebody that we could look up to and aspire to be like and who would never fail us. And this evening, we're going to complete this series by talking about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. When we talk about peace, I'm reminded of a character from a movie called The Princess Bride. I kind of get into those kind of movies. If you've never seen it, it's a character-driven fantasy kind of comedy, famous for its one-liners and very memorable characters. One of them is always correcting what other people are saying with the phrase, you keep using that word, but I don't think you really know what it means. And it's just kind of funny. I guess you have to watch it. But uh, sometimes we think of the word peace just like that. We really don't understand peace from the Bible and from God's perspective. If you were going to walk up right now to 100 people and ask them what their definition of peace is, you would probably get about 400 answers. And I want to be clear some of that, or some of this, about some of this tonight, and I want to explain what this nebulous word peace means in the eyes of God. Since God is the source of all existence and reality, I think we should always go to Him to find out what words that are very prevalent in His word mean. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, otherwise, I'll read it to you here in just a moment. We're going to start in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Skipping to Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that we are able to come together on this Christmas Eve to study and learn more about your Son. And even more um, important than studying the Bible, even more important than learning about it, is knowing the Prince of Peace and having him take over control of our lives, our hearts, and our emotions. Lord God, I just ask that you get a, just a little bit more of that within us as we spend this time together this evening. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. So a little background about the time when Isaiah spoke his prophecies. Isaiah is speaking to a people that for the last 100 years have never known any sort of peace. 
They have been under constant attack by the nations around them. The northern kingdom of Israel has been in a constant state of rebellion and disobedience against God. Over and over again, God sends people to to, um, call prophets to warn them and to try to bring them back to God. But they reject the prophet's words, and sometimes they'll even kill the prophets. After that, disaster would strike. Those nations would invade again, and they'd be overrun. And they would just repeat this cycle over and over and over again every time they rejected the prophet's words. That's just a brief background of the kind of people that Isaiah was speaking to. He's talking to a people that long for any sense of peace in their lives. Peace for them is to simply have an absence of conflict or even maybe some sense of security that when they wake up tomorrow, their homes won't be raided or their cattle won't be stolen or even their lives will still probably be there. Very often, this is how peace is used in our world today, simply the absence of conflict or the absence of war. But how many times this last year have we turned on the news only to hear about a new shooting, a new terrorist attack, or some drama that's going on in Washington, D.C.? And one of the things that I hear most often when the subject of today's news comes up, just talking to people or or maybe just sharing at work, is just the sentiment, I miss the days where we all got along. I miss the days where we could all just get along. We could be a Republican, an Independent, a Democrat. We could be a Christian. We could be a Jew. We could be even a Jehovah's Witness and not be mad at them when they woke us up on Saturday mornings. We still had that kind of respect for one another and would still treat people in a, in a kind fashion. But now it seems like if you have any opinion about anything, There's someone waiting in the wings, someone who is ready to bring down all the force they can to try to destroy you for having that opinion. Unfortunately, our elected officials, the people who are supposed to be leading us and setting an example, are some of the worst ones at it. This last year, honestly, watching the news, it feels like our country's regressed to the kind of drama that we had in middle school. It feels like a middle school locker room sometimes when you turn on the TV. The good news for us, though, is that that is not God's will for us. God desires for us to live in peace. About 400 years before the events in Isaiah, Israel is facing a very similar problem. Again, they have turned their back on God. They're getting raided by the Midianites, and and they're coming in, and they're taking their tools or taking their crops or taking their animals. The people begin to cry out for God's mercy and deliverance from this constant state of conflict and war. And God visits a man called Gideon and he tells Gideon that he is going to use Gideon to deliver his people. Now in early Old Testament religious thought, you have to remember that the Bible is progressive in its revelation. This does not exists today, but in, in the way that they used to think way back then, they thought that anyone who was ever visited by God or who God spoke to directly would be immediately killed because they came into the, the presence of a holy God. So Gideon is terrified by this visitation from God because he thinks that he is dead. He thinks that 
He's just going to vaporize. He's going to drop dead. He's going to be cursed. He's going to go to, he's going to go, literally go to hell, and that God is going to kill him for having to come and talk to him. So God quickly reassures Gideon and says, Gideon, no, you are not going to die. I have chosen you, and I am giving you a mission right now that I want you to fulfill. And so and Gideon is very thankful, and he's very reverent toward God, so he builds an altar, and he calls it in Hebrew, Yehovah Shalom, which means that, that God is peace. It's one of the most intimate and most reassuring names of God in the entire Bible. Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. And I think that God included this interaction between himself and Gideon in the Bible to show us that not only does he bring peace, he is the very essence of peace. What it means for you and I in 21st century America right now is that, is this fact, is that we can never know true peace apart from the God whose name, whose nature, and whose character is peace. And I want you to think about that for a moment. I mean, really think about that for a moment. Think about the fact that you can never have or know real peace unless you know the source of all peace. And when you really start to think about it and understand what it means and what its implications are for our life, that baby in a manger becomes so much more special of what God was accomplishing and becoming Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. You see, all this chaos that we're living in right now in the 21st century, it's a result of our humanity trying to realize peace apart from its source. Everything we pursue in life, everything, whether it be pleasure, whether it be power, whether it be money, whether it be position, pick your poison, whatever it is at its root is a yearning for peace or a yearning for security. Most of you know that I work full-time as a paramedic, and I've done so for most of my adult life. So let me illustrate what I'm talking about here from doing that job for so long. Over the course of my career, I've worked hundreds of overdoses. I've literally brought a person back who was clinically dead and bring them back to breathing and talking to me. And I would look at them and, and just think, man, they're just trying to find peace and trying to find it in a substance or a drug or alcohol. I've been in large corporate offices in Milwaukee I've dealt with the vice president of a very, very large company who has been working 80 or 90 hours a week and dropped dead right there of a heart attack because he had been working so many hours and under so much stress and just having that pressure cooker of a job. He was looking for peace through position. I've seen co-workers, people I've worked with, have an entire paycheck in cash on Friday and be broke on Monday for the next two weeks because they went to a casino and tried to have fun and got broke really fast. 
folks, a casino always wins in the end. They're looking for peace through money. And most tragically, I've seen people shipwreck marriages and children, reputations, and sometimes even churches because of a pursuit of pleasure. What these people illustrate is common with all of humanity, though. We never learn or refuse to acknowledge that you can never find peace in anything that is created. If you want peace, you have to go to the Creator. You see, Jesus knows this, though. He knows this better than we know ourselves. Consider the world that the little baby in Bethlehem's manger was born into. Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, was born into a country, was born into a world scene and where his country has only known subjugation for over 500 years. In 500 years, they have been conquered by Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Medes, the Greeks, and now the Romans. That's a heck of a history. Imagine Whitehall being conquered about every 80 years by somebody different. Not only do you lose a whole, a considerable portion of your population, not only do you have half your stuff taken, but now you have to learn and live under a new set of laws, a new worship a new God, everything that goes with that. They've gone through this roughly about 80, every 80 years for the last 500 years. Even worse, the religious establishment that they are in right now is a far cry from the one that God intended for them. There's very little true worship of God seen in a temple. In fact, going to the temple only ensures that the very people who are supposed to be pointing the worshipers to God are actually fleecing and cheating the people out of every penny they can. On a personal level, the entire world and especially in his hometown, Nazareth, considers Jesus an illegitimate child. It was no secret that Jesus was not Joseph's son. You know, we kind of look at that now, that's not a big stain in our culture anymore. But in ancient Israel, you weren't even considered a full member of Israel unless you had a Jewish father. And just to top it off, God leaves the throne room of heaven, the richest environment he could ever inhabit, and becomes a man in Jesus who is now a helpless baby, sleeping in a borrowed stable, inside of a feeding trough for an animal. That's what a manger is. Pastor Dan Norman used to pastor the church at, over uh, the Baptist church over here. He says it's a cow's cereal bowl. That's what a manger is. Jesus is a helpless baby in a manger that is less than 10 miles from an evil ruler who wants him dead. This is the world that the Prince of Peace is born into. We can look at all this and consider the world that we live in today because it's not that much different. Is it any wonder why this phrase, Prince of Peace, means just as much to us today as it did in Isaiah's time or even the time that Jesus was born, the Prince of Peace is needed now more than ever. 
And I want to stop and take just a moment this evening before we all go and, and watch kids attack their presents or open our presents or eat supper or whatever's on your agenda for next. I want you to close your eyes for a moment in the presence of God. I want you to take a deep breath and let the Holy Spirit into your heart and just let him show the things you're fighting against, the things that are bringing you worry, the, thing, the struggles you're facing, and expose anything that's frightening you right now. And then ask Jesus, Jesus, in all of these situations, please be my Prince of Peace. You see, this is the beauty of Christmas. It's that time during the year for us to pause and stop and reflect of the, on the wonder of a baby prince coming into the world during one of the most chaotic times in human history. And for all those that are still struggling or you're, and you're worrying or can't believe that God can help you, consider this. A moment ago I mentioned Jesus was born into a world 10 miles away from an insane king with an army of his own that wanted to kill him. Literally, he could have given the order and 30 minutes later, Bethlehem could have been wiped off the map. Yet God was never worried. When he grew up, Jesus would face a hostile religious establishment so far removed from what Father God had intended and instituted that this religious establishment conspired to murder him. They, they conspired to murder the God they claimed to worship. But God never broke out in a sweat. He was never worried. Jesus faced unbelief and ridicule in his own hometown, the same hometown that considered him an illegitimate child. But it, that never touched him at all. Jesus, Jesus ministered to people that had been conquered for over 400 years and himself was under the rulership of a man named Caesar who commanded people to worship him. And it didn't faze him a bit because he knew who he was. Jesus knew he was the Prince of Peace. He was the source of all peace. He was and still is the answer to every problem that you have. And he wants to give you true peace that comes from experiencing the joy of the Lord as we surrender to him. Let's all rise. Conrad and Jen were nice enough to change the sign for me this week because I just got really busy. And outside it says, Jesus, God's greatest gift. And that is true, and we see that in, in a verse of the Bible that is considered the most central. John 3, 16 and 17. That says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All you have to do is surrender and believe. Father God, if there be anyone here who needs the Prince of Peace this evening, I ask, Father, that you enter their heart. I ask, Father, that you pour your spirit within them. Enable them to make the right choice for Jesus and to follow him the rest of their days. They will never regret doing so. A billion, billion years from now, we will all be alive. Help them to make the right decision to end up in the right place this evening.